Hello, and welcome to the Physiatry Podcast with your host, Dr. Abhinash Ramchandani. This is where we discuss topics in physical medicine, rehabilitation, pain management, traumatic brain injury, and sports medicine all in one. We focus on delivering the best unbiased information to our audience. This is podcast number 26. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about stroke, the different types of stroke, and what you should do if you do have a stroke. In a separate episode, we will talk about recovery and rehabilitation from strokes. If you have questions or comments, you can always find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, or you can just send me an email at info at painlessnx.com. Being in physical medicine and rehabilitation, I've treated many patients with strokes. And in fact, in pain management, we still treat patients with strokes because patients that have strokes can have pain as a result of their stroke. Now, there are three different types of strokes. Technically, one is not really a stroke, but it can be considered a type of stroke because it still limits the amount of blood flow to the brain. So that's the essential idea of a stroke is that there is some sort of lack of blood flow or lack of circulation to a part of the brain causing a part of the brain to die. It's the same idea as a heart attack in the sense that when someone has a heart attack, a part of the heart dies because the blood flow that is going to the part of the heart is limited by a clot or something else. In this case, most strokes are caused by either two things. One is called an ischemic stroke, which is where blood flow that goes through an artery that supplies oxygen-rich blood to the brain becomes blocked. Blood clots often can cause blockages that lead to ischemic strokes. Now, this can also be caused by other things. You can have an embolus, which can be caused by one, uh, blood is actually can be coagulated, and that can be considered an embolus, or it can be created by fat. It can also be created by even air. So you can have different types of embolus that can cause a stroke. This limits the amount of blood that goes to a certain part of the brain. And that's because this embolus goes into the, into the vessel and limits the amount of blood flow to it. The second type of stroke is what's called a hemorrhagic stroke. The hemorrhagic stroke is where an artery in the brain leaks blood or ruptures. This leaked blood puts too much pressure on the brain cells, which damages them. This also limits the amount of blood flow to those brain cells. There are two types of hemorrhagic strokes. One's an intracerebral hemorrhage, which is the most common. This is where an artery in the brain bursts. There's also another one, what's called a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is less common. And it refers to bleeding in the area between the brain and the thin tissues that cover it. There are also other types of strokes or what we can call hemorrhages, but those aren't considered strokes necessarily. They're usually caused by trauma, and those are more considered what what we talk about as traumatic brain injuries. But these do cause the same sort of idea or the same sort of problem where you have a limited amount of blood flow to the brain. The next type of stroke is really not a stroke because it technically doesn't cause any brain 
damage because what happens is that you have a what's called a transition or transient ischemic attack, which is sometimes called a mini stroke. This is different from major types of stroke because the blood flow to the brain is blocked only for a short t- amount of time. This can be about five minutes or less. And what happens is patients have the similar type of symptoms as a stroke, but instead of actually having a permanent amount of damage, they actually recover immediately. So if a transition, a transient ischemic attack happens, patients do immediately recover and usually have no long-term side effects. The problem with transient ischemic attacks is that most people that do have a transient ischemic attack will go through a stroke within one year, more than a third of people in that sense. As many as 10 to 15% will have a major stroke within three months after having a TIA, as we call it. Now, what do we do when people have a stroke, or what should you do if someone is experiencing the symptoms of a stroke? First of all, what are the symptoms of a stroke? Patients that have a stroke can have different symptoms. Sometimes they can have numbness or weakness in the face, arm, or leg, especially on one side of the body. If it's on both sides of the body, it may not be a stroke, but in any case, if you do have numbness on both sides or weakness on both sides of the body, there could be something else going on and you should probably take that person to the hospital or call 911. Sudden confusion, trouble speaking or difficulty understanding speech, sudden trouble seeing in one or both eyes, sudden trouble walking, dizziness, loss of balance or lack of coordination, sudden severe headache with no known cause. All these things are important things to recognize and if you see any of these things, you should take the patient immediately to the hospital or call 911. It's probably better to call 911. Acting fast is really important. This acronym FAST is really important. And what they talk about on the CDC website is that F-A-S-T means face, arm, speech, and time. Ask the person to smile. Does one side of the face droop? Ask the person to raise both arms. Does one arm drift downward or not lift? Speech, does ask the person to repeat a simple phrase. Is the speech slurred or strange? Time, if you see any of these signs, call 911 immediately. You should also note the time when symptoms first appear. This is actually extremely important. When people think about, oh, I had a stroke last night, sometime within the last eight hours or within the last four hours, that can be a big difference because if we're able to treat the stroke within four hours, we can give a specific type of treatment. And if it is within eight hours, we are very limited with the type of treatment. So if someone comes into the hospital within three hours of the first symptoms of an ischemic stroke, sometimes within four hours, they may get a type of medicine called a thrombolytic treatment. And this breaks up blood clots. So if the person has an ischemic stroke, and this is found within three hours, they can give a TPA. TPA improves the chances from recovering from a stroke and more, they're more likely to fully recover if you give TPA and have less disability than patients that do not have TPA. There are certain things that limit the amount of ability for patients to get TPA, and that includes having blood thinners. So someone who has blood thinners, they may not be able to get 
TPA. On the other hand, it's still important to take the patient to the hospital and call 911. It, it is very, very important to get them as, there as soon as possible. Now, if someone is bleeding in their brain, there are other treatments. Endovascular procedures can be done where, they, where a specific clot is actually put into the brain where someone is bleeding from a blood vessel. Of course, there can be side effects to this, but it is important to do this if someone is having a pretty severe hemorrhagic stroke. There's also surgical treatments. Sometimes patients may require a metal clip that may be put in place to stop blood clots. Sometimes if the the stroke is really bad and causing the brain to swell, someone may even have part of their skull removed in order to allow the brain to swell without causing further problems. One in four patients that have a stroke and survive will have another stroke within five years. That's a high amount of people. The risk of stroke within 90 days of a TI may be as high as 17%, with the greatest risk during the first week. So if you have a TIA, make sure you go to the hospital because there are ways to limit the amount of chances of having a TIA, and that may be by giving you blood thinners. It's important to remember that if someone has a stroke, it may take months or even years to recover from the stroke. Some people with small strokes may recover within weeks. Some people that have a TIA may not even have any recovery, may just recover immediately. But the important thing is to remember is that many strokes are recurrent and they will happen again if you don't get it treated. Now, what a few of the problems that happen after a stroke. Someone with a stroke may have paralysis or what we call weakness on one side of the body. Patients may have trouble thinking with awareness, attention, learning, judgment, and memory. Patients may also have trouble understanding or forming speech. Patients may also have trouble controlling or expressing emotions. Numbness or strained sensations may happen. Pain in the hands and feet that worsens with movement and temperature changes. Trouble with chewing and swallowing. Problems with bladder and bowel control. Patients may also be depressed after a speech. This is actually extremely common. It really depends, of course, on the type of stroke. There are obviously many different types of strokes because there are so many different types and different places in the brain which you can have a stroke. For the sake of being concise and talking for less than two hours about this topic, I am going to briefly talk about the different types of stroke that are within the ischemic and the hemorrhagic types, mainly the ischemic types. And the two different main categories of where a stroke can happen, one is a dominant and the other one is a non-dominant stroke. What's the big difference here is that with a non-dominant hemisphere stroke, a lot of times patients have issues with creativity, art, and imagination, and this also integrates spatial information for controlling the sense of awareness and three-dimensional space. The non-dominant hemisphere stroke is really important for a lot of the things that we take for granted, including how to make a podcast or how to drive or the awareness of where we are at. The dominant stroke, on the other hand, is oftentimes a lot more devastating for patients because it can make patients 
very weak on their more dominant side, as well as have issues with speaking. And the control of speech and mathematical abilities are located on that side. So it is very important to know the difference between the two. So once patients have a dominant hemisphere speech or dominant hemisphere issue with a stroke, they often have something called aphasia. And when someone has aphasia, they have difficulty speaking. And this is oftentimes what is associated with a stroke. Now, the different types of aphasia are pretty interesting or can be very, very odd sometimes. So there is what's called an expressive aphasia, which is also known as a Broca's aphasia. This is, these patients have a difficulty in speaking in a fluent and clear way. And oftentimes they will misunderstand yes or no questions and say the exact opposite. So when someone is saying yes or no after having a stroke and they say the wrong thing all the time, they may have what's called a Broca's aphasia. And even though they understand what they're trying to say, they can't get it out. It is very difficult and very stressful for these patients when they are speaking. So it's really important to work with speech therapy to get them better with their expressive aphasia. The other one is what's called a repetitive aphasia or receptive aphasia, which is known as a Wernicke's aphasia. These patients are have the difficulty to understand the meaning of spoken or written speech. Oftentimes, they can speak fluently, but speak with words and phrases that do not make any sense. These patients, on the other hand, tend not to be that depressed because they don't understand that they don't understand what people are saying. So they don't are not as depressed as patients with a Broca's aphasia in general. There's also what's called anomic or amnesia aphasia, which is the inability to find the correct name for objects, people, or places. And oftentimes people like me sometimes can't remember people's names. I'm sorry, but that is not amnesia or anomic aphasia. But this can be common in strokes as well. There's also what's called a global aphasia. This is the inability to speak or understand speech, read or write. And this is the most severe type of aphasia. And these patients kind of have a blank look and don't know where they're at and can't say anything. And it can be very devastating for patients like that. Now, let's talk a little bit about the non-dominant strokes. And non-dominant strokes in the frontal lobe, which is where we have about one-third of the cerebral cortex total mass. It can control personality, behavior, emotional regulation, and the ability to plan, solve problems, and organize. This can be a major issue for patients and can cause weird, different situations where patients are uncontrollable or can be emotionally violent or be just different than they were before. Where someone is very controlled emotionally before a stroke, they can be very emotionally variable during a stroke or after the stroke. The parietal lobe is located near the back and top of the head above the ears. This controls the ability to read, write, and understand spatial concepts. So this may not completely mirror each other on one side and the other. While the dominant side may actually control speech and logic, the non-dominant parietal lobe may control spatial skills and creativity. In fact, a stroke affecting the non-dominant parietal lobe can produce its own set of problems, including disorientation and the inability to recognize one's own body. 
The occipital lobe, a small region, region located on the back of the head, is responsible for the integration of vision. So someone that has a non-dominant or a dominant stroke in the occipital lobe will have trouble seeing. Even though their eyes are working, they will not be able to see properly because of the occipital lobe or the location of this. So despite us having senses that actually can sense the outside of the world, if our brain wasn't there to integrate all these senses, we wouldn't be able to see, hear, talk, or do any of the other things that we do with our senses. The temporal lobe located on the, at the side of the head above the ears, below the frontal lobe. This controls hearing, memory, speech, and comprehension. And again, with a non-dominant stroke, we can still have trouble with these things. Despite we talking about dominant and non-dominant strokes as being one side or the other of the brain and being very typical, people are different. And people that are ambidextrous may have two areas where they actually isolate their language and speech skills. What I mean by this is that someone that speaks two languages may actually have a stroke in one language area, but not have a stroke in a different language area. For example, someone that speaks English and Spanish may have a stroke where it affects their dominant language, English, and not affect their Spanish or vice versa. Where people sing in from their brain is on a different area than the normal speech area. So oftentimes people can still sing if they have a Broca's aphasia, which is very interesting in how the brain works. So how do you communicate with someone with an aphasia or trouble with speaking? You can use pictures to make conversations easier. You can have a conversation in a quiet, non-distracting area because oftentimes people that have a stroke are very distracted. You can draw or write. You can show people what works best. You can connect people by email or with a blog. You can show people a card that explains your condition to others. Conversely, for patients without aphasia, communicating with stroke advisor, uh, survivors who have aphasia can be made easier with some of the following methods using pictures or props, drawing or writing, speaking simply and slowly. This is why speech therapy is extremely important to patients that have had aphasias or have had strokes. All right, for people listening to this podcast, everybody knows that we used to do this medical myths section. I'm going to change that, and now we're going to call this the good news of the day section. I'm going to end our podcast with this. Thank you to my wonderful, beautiful wife. She's the one that encouraged me to start this podcast as well as start doing this segment. And I'm going to call this the good news of the day. And I'm going to talk about a person that is a cancer survivor who did what's called the grueling Sea to Summit Triathlon, where she swam, cycled, and ran over 330 miles in just five days. Andrea Mason is a cancer survivor in 
she set off uh, at 6.15 a.m. on a Friday, and a 39-year-old lady who battled through severe pain, cramping, and hallucinations, but she pushed on, managing to complete the race, what's called, again, the Sea to Summit Triathlon, in 23 hours and 41 minutes. She had severe endometriosis and cervical cancer in 2017, needed life-saving surgery. She's now hoping to raise awareness of women's reproductive health and endometriosis in particular. And Andrea has her own charity called Lady Talk Matters. And and this was developed surrounding female reproductive matters. She's from Blackpool in Lancashire, England. And that is our good news of the day. Again, thank you for listening to the Physiatry Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Avinash Ramchandani. I will hopefully see you in a week or two. I'm also excited to say that Dr. Santosh Nadipuramthu came on the podcast in February to talk about COVID before it was a big deal. Is going to come back and talk to us again about COVID, vaccines, virus, etc., and where we're going to go from here. And hopefully everybody has a wonderful week or two, and I will talk to you soon. Again, this is your host, Dr. Nadipuramthu, and this is the Physiatry Podcast.